Hello and welcome to Hazelwood's Breaking News, the essential podcast for veterinary practice owners and managers. I'm your host, Suzanne Headington, partner in the Hazelwood's veterinary team. And today I'm joined by my colleague, Mark Harwood, also a partner in the veterinary team, and Graham Scott, a funding specialist at Shire Insurance and Finance Brokers. Today, we're going to be talking you through the key aspects to consider when you're starting out setting up a veterinary practice. Thank you both for joining me again today to talk about this. Great to be back. (laughs) (laughs) We've Mark and I see all the time people contacting us asking to set up veterinary practices on what things they should be thinking about and I guess Graham from your perspective as well you're also seeing a lot of that so there's quite a lot of things to consider when you're you know wanting to start out so where should we start? (laughs) There is a huge amount of activity we are running at the moment probably anywhere between three and four inquiries every week Mm-hmm. literally every week from people thinking about starting up a new practice some where they're thinking of expanding their practice and starting a new branch um, but it, it really is incredible how many inquiries we're getting and therefore we're very geared up to it now we like to think we're fairly slick on uh, on how we <laughs> on how we respond and cover all the various questions that somebody who's starting up is going to have particularly around the funding mm-hmm which I have to say has not been as easy as providing funding for established practices. So there are some fairly basic steps that people need to take. Um, First and foremost is writing a really good business plan. We've actually established a template for this now, which I think covers all the bases that the funders will want to see commented upon Mm -hmm. around competition, why are people going to come to you, what's your experience, what's your expertise, all this sort of thing. So certainly I would recommend people um, contact Shire and uh, get one of our um, startup packages, including this how to write a decent business plan. And then of course the other allied to the business plan are the financial forecasts, Mm -hmm. because the banks will simply not look at um, proposals for new starts without having a good financial forecast. And that really needs to cover probably the first three years. I was going to ask what sort of time frame. Uh, and, And it's just the sort of basic stuff of a cash flow forecast, profit loss budget and a balance sheet. Um, and again, it's all three of those that banks really like to see as a preference. That, that's that's certainly the the feedback we're getting from the banks. They want to see this because invariably, you know, year one is going to be break even or possibly a small loss. Year two, starting to break into profit, and by year three, hopefully making a good profit. But again, my, one of my favourite words at the moment, uh, realism. The forecasts have to be realistic because the people who come along and say that they're going to make you know £100,000 profit in year one, they want to say possibly deluding themselves. <laughs> um, and, uh, and certainly the banks and the funders will look at those somewhat critically. So yeah, robust financial forecasts, good quality business plan. And then the other thing we're, we're looking for are background financial details, the individuals involved, and the fact that you are going to be asked to put some of your own money in. And that's not going to be a small amount. Generally, we're seeing the banks wanting around about 25% okay. of the total costs. We, we can help sort of massage some of those costs so that um, you know people forget to include things or some of the expense they've already done. They might have, they might have employed a planner or something like that that to have a look at things 
all those expenses are our startup costs and need including. But as I say, we're now in a situation where we're dealing with some funders that seem very keen on helping. And um, generally, we can find people finance as long as it's at a realistic level. You are not going to be able to walk into a bank, certainly not one that I know of, and get sort of half a million quid just uh, on the basis that I'm a nice chap and I'm going to start up a new mm-hmm. practice and uh, we're going to be incredibly successful. And I guess that realism on the business plan is important, not just from the bank's perspective, but also I think from the individual's perspective to know that actually, what do I need to achieve to be able to make the repayments on those loans, cover all my costs, employ mm. my staff, etc., and, and not be over-optimistic about, about what you can do. And actually, in some ways, being a bit pessimistic about it, because yeah. actually if a pessimistic view still gives you what you want and from a cash flow point of view works and actually as long as you exceed that then you should be in a good place exactly uh, and i think without doing too many commercials coming to somebody such as yourselves hazelwoods who have huge experience and have the comparative figures um it's okay going along to your local accountant but they might have a veterinary practice as their one of their clients but they certainly won't have the breadth of uh, clients that you guys have got. And that also counts enormously with the banks. Yeah. That, you know, if they see your name on a set of projections, they know that you're not going to put your name to ludicrous levels of income and low levels of costs. And also you have the experience of being able to look at various practices that you've helped all over the country and therefore you use that expertise in producing your forecasts it counts you know i can't stress this enough it counts for so much when dealing with the banks because one has to face it they're taking a risk as the individual in setting up the practice is taking a risk so it's mitigating that risk as much as possible and having good business plan good financial forecasts will certainly help Thank you, Graham. That's very kind of you to, <laughs> to, to say that. But but I agree. I think, you know, we are in a position, thankfully, where we are able to give those benchmark figures to people and give them some, hopefully, a bit of comfort on their numbers and also help them look at them objectively as well, rather than getting too detailed about things, but, but making sure that they are, are realistic. I guess one thing that I get asked quite a lot when I'm talking to people with um, who've got plans to start up a practice is, I need to get some funding because I want to start up a practice. The next question I ask is, well, do you know where you're setting this practice up? And more often than not, the answer is, well, I've got a vague idea of the area, but I haven't found a, a site yet. Mm. So therefore, doing projections is quite tricky when you don't know what the property is. <laughs> it's that order of events, isn't yeah. it? And I, and, I, and I think that's so important. And I, it's certainly one of the top three questions mm. we, we get asked. What order should I do things in? And I think having that aspiration to set up your own practice, I think is fantastic. Just a, as a brief aside, sort of thought, you know, why are so many people looking to set up? Actually, because I think it's a really opportune time. Mm. I think, you know, increasing animal pet ownership, particularly during COVID, you know, looking a few years ahead when perhaps those animals are less well, they become a more, bit more elderly. I think that demand that we've seen, that rise, that demand's still going to be there in a few years' time. Um, We've seen a lot of corporatisation, and I think some people see that actually that independent sort of flag almost can be quite powerful, and that, that's absolutely nothing against corporate practices whatsoever, but I think it's, it's opportune. So going back to the order of events, I think having discussions with specialists and trying to understand the outline feasibility, so 
Graham, you mentioned you might need, say, 25%, give or take it, mm. of your own money to put down. If someone says, I want to go and borrow £4 million from a new startup, the answer is probably going to be, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, but to, to put your mind at rest, almost, if you're looking to set up, is just have an initial chat with someone like Graham, with a finance person, and then talk through those order of events. But to pick up what Suzanne was saying, you know, property versus projections, which order? Mm. Well, typically to do the projections properly, which is what you're going to need, you need to know where the property is, how much you're going to pay for it, have had some detailed costings undertaken in terms of kitting it out, um, getting it fit for purpose as a veterinary practice. So that's very much so the order, property, then projections, and that forms part of the business plan. Mark, I think you're spot on. I think what we tend to find is somebody will contact us to say, we're thinking of doing a startup, and generally they will tell us roughly where in the country. And that's what we tend to do is to say, well, okay, we'll talk to you in broad outlines, but until you actually find the property, because let, let's assume most people start with a leasehold property. Mm-hmm. You need to know how much rent you're going to have to pay. Is there a premium for going in? Are you going to get a rent-free period? How bad is the, <laughs> is the inside of the, of the property? And Sometimes the landlord will contribute towards some of those works as well. If it's exactly. Structure, right? yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And it, it's all those things. So, But the property in, inevitably is the key element because that drives pretty much everything else in terms of, of a cost. Um, I, I suppose one thing to say is that applies for a small animal practice. If you were setting up an equine ambulatory practice, obviously yeah. it's much more straightforward because generally you're working out the back of the car yeah. in the most part. And, and um, it's so interesting that. saying that in the last week I've had two inquiries about setting up small animal mobile practices. As well, yeah. And again, we're seeing more of those type of inquiries. So, yeah, something like that is a lot easier because you're then talking about what kind of vehicle you're going to yeah. buy, how much is that going to cost and how much equipment do you need? And generally it's a lot lower startup yeah. Um, yeah. cost for something like an ambulatory practice, be it equine or small animal, actually. You're probably, you know, with a car or something, it might be yeah. anywhere between 50 and 100 grand, depending yeah. on what type of equipment. But, you know, a small animal site depends on size but again on average you're probably thinking around 300,000 to kit out a practice two to three hundred thousand as a a ballpark geographically it's interesting because Mm. um i've done a couple up in sort of northeast well one in the northeast one in the northwest and costs are cheaper than if you were doing it in um in south london or something so um and depends how high end you want it to be as well isn't it and things but at the same time it's being realistic about your own budget if the costs do work out at 300,000 and you've only got 30,000 of your own money, you might struggle a bit for the funding. So yeah. you might have to pair those costs back a bit. Or you go seeking funding from other sources. And one of the best banks, of course, with branches everywhere is the Bank of Mum and Dad, <laughs> who offer incredibly um, advantageous terms. Yeah, if they're still and, willing to lend. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and of course, you've got to think about siblings and this sort of thing, that, that yeah. if everybody goes along to the Bank of Mum and Dad, they might be overdrawn. Um, but quite seriously, family, uh, friends, I'm always uh, a little bit dubious about because Try keep, carefully, I think. keep them as friends, not, not as yes. predators. So family, certainly. We see a number of people starting up with help from parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it is a good source. If you're doing it with bank funding as well, the bank's 
tend to want to see their money back before anybody else's. But all jokes aside, the way startup practices are going at the moment, they are absolutely flying some of the new startups we've seen and can easily repay monies in far shorter periods of time than they and possibly I, believe. I think that's probably true for most of the projections. It comes back to that sort of being a bit pessimistic about things. I think you are on the side of caution and actually most people will exceed that you know, very quickly. Which is great. And it's also a massive boost when the bank come along at the end of year one and do an annual review and you've forecast to do 250,000 of turnover and you've done 300,000 and your costs were forecast at whatever they were and it's lower. And so, you know, it's still a good factor, really, isn't it? It's huge tick in the box. And so that when you go back two years later and say, well, actually, we, we need to expand the practice, you're already on the front foot. Yeah. Just coming back to the sort of the order of events and things what lead time do you generally need for getting funding how long does it take and getting those projections done which you know preparing projections could take three or four weeks you know to get them done properly and and accurately and and obviously writing your business plan but from the point at which you then approach you yeah what you do um, approach the banks how long do they I I find that when I've got a full suite of information so the business plan the projections the personal information all this I get that off to the bank we normally get indicative terms back certainly within a week mm-hmm. and then providing the clients happy with the terms that are being offered yeah. it then goes to the bank's underwriters again another week possibly two and then it, it's sort of full steam ahead with um, the legal work which you know the banks will probably want to take a charge on the lease yeah. of the premises they'll if the person is trading as a limited company they'll undoubtedly want a personal guarantee mm-hmm. to be signed so I think the best we've seen is about two months start to finish. Okay. I would say an average would be anywhere between three and six months. Yeah. And it all depends on how complicated things are and how quickly our friends in the legal profession work. Yeah. And um, I guess to a degree, the more personal money you've got available to put into the pot, yeah. the better. Yeah. And if you've got two of you setting up a practice, then obviously that... Yes, we, we yeah we tend to find that generally yes because um, in sort of broad terms the banks will lend twice as much. Yeah. Um, the great thing is with two people, if you are getting more money, the actual costs don't tend to be twice as much. No. no. So your costs of converting a premises will remain roughly the same, albeit that you know one person might only start with one examination room and two people yeah. might want two. Although that doesn't necessarily follow either because sometimes, again, with two people, I can think of a couple of examples we've done recently where what they're doing is one person will be staffing the practice all the time, but the other person will be locuming. And again, for a bank, they're seeing that income coming in to that business. Yes. Reinsurance, Um, isn't it? It it is. It is, Mark. You're right. Um, And it allows, again, an element of flexibility for those people running the practice that they know that the sort of basic bills are going to be covered even from the low coming work as that practice builds up. And Mark, if we've got the funding in place and we found the site, what are the other things that we just need to be thinking about in terms of the planning stage, but also just as we're starting out? What things should we be thinking about and keeping an eye on? Really good question, Suzanne. I think sort of overarching, the, the umbrella around all of this is um, don't overcomplicate it. Focus on getting the basics and getting those basics really, really strong. Um, 
So having that really clear plan, but accepting that that plan will probably go off piste and therefore <laughs> that doesn't, doesn't necessarily matter mm. as, as long as we're keeping, you know, as long as we're paying our bills and we're paying off our loan, etc. Um, looking at the property side of things, if we have got a fixed base and not say ambulatory, is thinking not just where we might want to be in two or three years time, but what's our ultimate long-term vision? Is that site going to be fit for purpose in five years time, 10 years time? If we think we want to expand, is that going to be possible under the terms of a lease? If we're leasing, is there going to be enough space to do so? Thinking very much, if we are leasing, what those lease terms are as well. Have we got security of tenure? So typically, maybe say a 15-year lease, so reasonably long. And we might have tenant-only break clauses, so maybe at five and 10 years, and you know rent reviews that might coincide with those, for example. But I think having those break clauses, but so it's one way, so it's mm. tenant-only, so you as the tenant can break them, not the landlord, I think it's really, really important. It's about that security for the future, isn't it? And yeah. knowing you've got guaranteed income if you want to yeah. continue. I, I think another point on that is that the banks will only lend over the maximum term of yeah. the lease. So don't go signing a five-year lease and expect to borrow the money over 15 years. Yeah. Because understandably, really the, 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 the yeah. banks are nervous yeah. Yeah. that you, <laughs> your practice won't be there in uh, six yeah. years' time. Yeah. Yeah. I think getting the right people on board is really, really important. I think having said that, what's hugely encouraging, if you're listening to this thinking, is this for me? Do you think I can make a success of it? Actually, I've not seen a new startup veterinary business fail in the traditional sense of the word. Um, no. The vast majority have actually exceeded their forecasts, certainly that we've seen. Yeah. And often that is because they've actually, they've started with a blank sheet of paper. And as part of that blank sheet of paper, they thought, okay, well, what team do we need to create in order to make this work as best as we can? And interestingly, sort of echoes um, our earlier podcast about the state of the vestry market is often new startup businesses actually find it not too difficult to attract, recruit and retain people because they're having to think about what those people want and it's an inclusive environment where everyone has a say. So I think that's really, really important. And often they're able sometimes to sort of you know, use relationships that they've Absolutely. made in the past. Bring and, a team with them. Yes, and actually <laughs> yeah. have yeah. A, probably have yeah. a more experienced team than you might see in an existing practice where people have left and they've had to recruit. I think that's a, a very, very pertinent point. That Certainly, I think the ones I've seen recently, generally people are bringing very experienced staff with them, particularly around nurses and receptionists, mm-hmm. because somebody's got fed up in a practice and um, and that sort of seems to permeate through the practice and then they bring a really good team with them and everybody's excited. Yes. Because, you know, I, I will say to people, it is a really, really exciting time. I mean, you're starting this, you know, your blank sheet of paper, what could be better than that? Yeah. It's a new adventure, isn't it? Yeah, it's exciting. exciting. Yeah, it's really you're in exciting. charge of yeah. your own destiny. And, and, and <laughs> so, yeah. You know, hopefully we share that excitement with people and get them on the right road. You know, Mark's point about the planning, getting the right people around them. I I think another thing, just thinking about the funding side of things, 
not only you know do we do the sort of standard bank funding, but asset finance because equipment yes. can invariably be funded through through asset finance, and we've got some very good connections there, and we can get some really good deals for startup practices. And it's making sure that we just have the experience whereby we can say to people, look, we don't just take one big lump, you know, because within that equipment there may be something of high value which is far better on a separate lease. Because you get a much better rate than just, you know, I need £80,000 worth of equipment, but there might be a lump of x-ray equipment that's 30000 or something yeah. within that. So, again, do speak to us. <laughs> little think, plug there for Shire. <laughs> <laughs> and I think sort of linked to that actually as well is thinking about what tax reliefs are available on all those things because getting that sorted or thinking about that early does help because with things like the refurbishment of the practice, for example, there are so many different allowances that are available depending mm. on the type of work that you're doing and whether it's an asset or an integral feature or fixtures and fittings not going to get too technical now but those are the sorts of things that actually the more detail you can get for that and breaking that down into those different elements the more tax breaks that you will get I, and, I, and how you fund equipment for example as well will may affect ability to reclaim fat how quickly you get yeah. tax relief and also going back even further is are you going to trade as a sole trader or are you going to trade as well, if there's two yeah. of you as a partnership, or are you going to form a limited company? And that's definitely one for the accountants yeah. to help you with, because and that, yeah. get the right structure, get the wrong structure, and you'll um, you'll regret it for <laughs> um, for years to come. Just on that note, I think because obviously those goalposts move. Mm. So what may have been appropriate five years ago may or may not be appropriate now. And I would say there's no substitute for advice on a case-by-case basis for yeah. your particular circumstance. Yes. I think, um, and this has been in the best possible spirit, I think often there's quite a lot of sort of what I would call coffee shop chats or pub chats where sometimes you know, people become aware of something or a mate said something or a colleague said something, but actually is that appropriate to your particular circumstances? So I use a very quick example you know, a few years ago, the government tried to level the playing field between you traded as a sole trader or partnership versus a limited company to level the level the overall tax exposure. But actually, particularly with a, a new startup business, because we've got quite a lot of debt, there is often an inbuilt tax saving from trading through a company. Not always, but quite often. So I just use that as one example. I'm not necessarily favouring companies. I just think it's a shame that the bloke down the pub who I've never met, I don't even know his name, but I think it's a shame that he's not running the country because he seems to know everything. Everything. No, it it is a good point. And I think obviously I think it's it's important to to know that one scenario doesn't fit all and it is very much mm. a case by case basis and having those conversations about Definitely. what how you want to trade what do you want out for the future and all that kind of thing all comes into the mix when you we're thinking about structures so yeah. um, it's all really important and, so. and having decided on that structure particularly if it's not just yourself it's getting a really robust and well thought through comprehensive partnership agreement or shareholders, or shareholders agreement yeah. depending on the structure um, and working with not just your solicitor but the other advisors involved as appropriate so it's really really well thought through and hopefully such word you'll never need to rely on it for anything significant but actually having a really clear document just gives you that reassurance. I think also as part of the setup side of things it's understanding all the different elements that kind of come into running your own practice 
if you've done it before or been involved in that side of things before, then it's probably a bit easier. But if you've never done it, you might not think about when do I register for VAT? How do I set up a payroll and what does that mean? Mm. What's involved in doing the bookkeeping side of things? You know, lots of people that I talk to initially say, that's fine, I'm, I'm going to do everything. You know, I can, <laughs> I can run the practice, yeah. I can do the bookkeeping, I'll do mm. the payroll, I'll do the VAT. Often, probably before they started trading, they've realised that maybe that was a bit too ambitious. And some people do manage it and there, there are some advantages to doing it because actually I think it's quite good in some ways for a new owner of a business to actually get involved in some of those things and just understand what the mechanics of running a business are about. But at the same time, focus on what you're good at. And if you're a vet, yeah, vetting is what you're good at, mm. not running the payroll or Mm. doing the VAT. Mm. So either you find people within the practice, whether that's your practice manager or you employ a bookkeeper or someone, you know, payroll bureau or, you know, accountants to do everything for you, get the right people to do the right level of jobs. The same as you would in employing a nurse or a receptionist. And maybe don't be, again, it comes back to that sort of being realistic about what you can achieve. You know, you're going to make the most money by doing what you do well. Heart surgeons may be very good at heart surgery, but I've never met one who could plaster a wall yet. (laughs) (laughs) Or fix your car. Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, I think it's being realistic, but seeking out that advice to talk you through Mm. those things and make sure that you understand what's involved and getting the timing right for some of those as well is key. But, yeah, don't think you can do everything. I think if I was giving one tip to people doing this is... You do this probably once in your life. Yeah. I'm doing this every day as my job. So use my expertise and I'll put you in touch with other people with expertise because you simply cannot do it all yourself. No, no, agreed. Any other thoughts that we want to leave people with on setting up a practice? I think for me as a closing thought, it's a really opportune time. I think arguably, despite, you know, rising interest rates over the last year or so I think despite that I think it's arguably one of the most opportune times to set up a new vestry business but it is hard work and I think recognize that and those that make the best success of it do work really really hard that's really important but there's balance to that and therefore accepting like we're saying a few moments ago that it's not best to do everything yourself and you do need some time out um, and get the best people around you so you can get that balance thank you very much both and thank you for joining us today as ever if you have any questions on anything we've discussed please get in touch with a member of our team and you can find all our contact details on our website at www.hazelwoods.co.uk